Welcome to the Islands Christian Church Podcast. We're so glad you're listening with us today. You can worship with us in person in Savannah, Georgia, or with our live stream every Sunday at 10 a.m. Take a minute to subscribe to this podcast to hear a new message every Monday. Thanks for listening. We're glad to have you. I'm glad to be here. It's good to be back with the Islands Christian family. I, I really do, uh, whenever I get to come back and speak, I just feel like I'm coming home. So I just want to say thank you all for that. And uh, happy 4th of July weekend. Obviously, I'm not fully patriotic enough. I got the white covered. Figured there's enough people I have red and the blue. But uh, I am really grateful to be in a country like America. It may be imperfect, but she's beautiful. And it's a gift to be able to gather like this today. And uh, part of that is because God graciously gave us what he gave us in this country. I do also want to say uh, thank you to my uh, wife and children for being here. Not children, daughters. They're not really tiny anymore. Um, Just really glad you're here. It's the first time I've done this. I think most of you probably know that in January we lost our oldest daughter to a seizure. It's the first time I've spoken like this in public since then. And so if you'll bear with me, I'm a crier anyway, so you might get a few more tears. This isn't a sermon, but if you hear nothing else from me today, I hope you hear this. The psalmist in Psalm 145 declares, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. All his works are kindness. It's really easy to believe when life is rolling your way. But when you bury a child, you have to say, do I still believe all his works are kind? I do. And I hope you will too. It has nothing to do with the sermon. But if you hear nothing else, I hope that faith is built in you. That in those moments you will be able to say, if that crazy bald-headed guy who cries way too much and makes me uncomfortable believes that, I can believe it too. All right. So we're going to talk about forgiveness. I got one more heavy thing here. Uh, This is a little heavier. I didn't pick the the text. Stephen did. So if you don't like it, Email him. Hit him up. I'm sure he'll appreciate it. Like Ernie said to blame you. We're going to talk about forgiveness, and it's going to get a little deep. But before we do, I need to say this on the, the front end. Um, what may be happening in a room this size is some of you right now may be experiencing some form of abuse. Um, it may be physical. It may be mental, emotional, or even sexual. And I just want you to know, if that's you, then... Forgiveness isn't what we need to talk about today. What you need to do is get help. If it's illegal, we need to like find somebody, get in the right hands of the law. Like I don't want to make you feel like some pressure or guilt about, well, I can't forgive them, but I want you to know like God does not want you walking in abuse, okay? So if you're being abused right now in any way, any shape, or any form, like the answer is this, get help. Go to the law. And then forgiveness will come later. I just want to say that just kind of as a a, a warning at the very front end. I want you to hear that before we get started. Now, we'll get rolling. So, yeah, happy 4th of July weekend. (laughs) Let me ask you a question. 
What are you great at? What are you great at? I mean, what is the thing or things when people talk about you that say, she is great at boom, boom, boom. He's amazing at. My wife compliments, she thinks I've, I season meat and, and grill it or smoke it very well. And I feel like I've accomplished all I need to in life. Like, that's enough. <laughs> that's enough. You know, we all want to be great, right? Some of us really are great. We've all seen the, maybe some of you are live and some of you seen it on YouTube clips or different sports clips with Muhammad Ali, the post-fight interview where he famously quips, I'm the greatest of all time. Don't ever doubt me again. Don't ever make me the underdog again. They may get me again when I'm about 50 years old. You guys know the clip? And he backed it up, right? He was the greatest. Let's be honest, thought like this makes us a little uncomfortable. So let's go a little further. What if I told you that you should want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Shocked? Me too. Does it seem the opposite of what Christians should strive for? Yeah, it does. Does it sound self-serving and arrogant? Yep, sure does. See, one of the ways that the kingdom of heaven is, the, is different from the kingdom of mankind is how we achieve greatness. So here's the point I want to make today. Here's the point I'm going to try and reiterate, the point of my sermon. If you take notes, this is it. This is what I hope you walk away with, not only for today, but for the rest of your lives, thinking about this, how to be great in the kingdom of heaven. Be a people marked by mercy and full of forgiveness. Be a people marked by mercy and full of forgiveness. Let's get into our parable and see if what I'm saying is true. I'm in Matthew 18 today. I'm going to read verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who'd owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me. Lost my spot, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, 
I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us now? Would you take the truth of the scriptures and make it leap off the page and leap into our lives in a way that we need it? God, we are not filled. We are hungry. Fill us. Jesus, meet with us here. Just as you taught Peter and your disciples, teach us, Lord. Take the truths that are on this page and make them reality in our lives. Only you can do that. Lord, we just joyfully sit with open hands and open hearts and open minds and say, come, Lord, teach us. We want to be great in your kingdom. We want to be marked by mercy and full of forgiveness. Show us how, Jesus. Thank you that you have. Help it to make sense. In Christ's name, amen. All right. So I need to begin by giving some broader context to what's happening here in our parable in Matthew 18. So I need you to listen along with me as I kind of jump back in the story into Matthew 17, and then I'll catch us up. Just stick with me for a minute, okay? So in Matthew 17, verse 24... Let me read it, and then I'll, I'll, we'll, it'll make sense. Just stick with me. Just listen. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came to the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their, from their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, as to not give offense to them, Go to the sea, cast a hook, and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open his mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. So Jesus and his disciples are in Capernaum. For whatever reason, there's this tax that's associated with that. And Jesus basically tells Peter, listen, I'm the king of the universe. You know I shouldn't be paying this tax, but rather than give offense, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Lazaretta Creek. I want you to get a fiddler crab. I want you to drop a hook. And when you catch that sheep head, look in its mouth. Like, one of the things I love about the Bible is this. Like, it's, it's craziness in the best sense. And the response you get, right? Because, like, if I'm Peter, if I'm Peter, we have just come up with an amazing plan to either get rich or build a church. Either way, it goes, right? Like, you could either be the church where, listen, come on over, and whatever tax debt you have, here's your gold coin. Jesus, I just need you to do every time I go. Like, I, like I'm right now, Jesus, I'm going to Florida. I'm driving there now. I'm getting my Hughes 18-foot redfish, and we are going to be rich, and we're going to do a lot of ministry, right? So every time I drop my hook, Jesus, I either need a trout or a red or a sheephead or a flounder, and man, we're going to make people's taxes go away. I tell you, you'd fill the pews really fast, wouldn't you? Like, why are you going there? Because, bro, they get gold coins for taxes. Like, we're good. Nobody would dread April 15th again. And when you get to know Jesus in the stories, this isn't like the most major miracle, right? We wouldn't classify this, but what questions would you have if you were the disciples on the heels of this? What questions would you have? See, one of the reasons why I love the Bible 
is you can't, it can't be made up. Because if I'm making the story up, the very next question that's coming out of my mouth is something about the miracle. Something about the fish. Something about, hey, Lord, what's, what are we going to do next Tuesday? If we go to chapter 18, here's the question the disciples come up with. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? <laughs> These guys are ridiculous. That's what you come up with? Jesus just did this miracle, and you're like, hey, Jesus, which one of us 12 is really the best? Which one of us is the Michael Jordan out of your crew here, right? Like, that's your question? Like, you just seen me do another miracle, and you want to ask me about the greatest? Here's what's really cool, though. Jesus doesn't rebuke him for the question. Instead, he takes this little child, he puts it in his lap, and he says, you want to be great in my kingdom? Become like this little child. That's the key to greatness. See, that's why like, when we think of greatness in our world, like the Muhammad Ali greats, we think of how well you can perform at whatever you can do. And it's the opposite of Jesus' kingdom. The way you become great is by becoming humble. The way you become great is by becoming childlike in your faith, learning to trust God very simply. You haven't been messed up by life yet enough to know that I can't just believe you and think that what you're saying is true, right? That's how you get into the kingdom, and that's how you become great in it. He doesn't say, you bunch of idiots, don't think about being great. He says, this is how you do it. Become like a little child. And then he launches off. It's like, by the way, don't mess with these little kids. If you tempt them to sin, better you got this millstone hung around your neck and you throw them out in the middle of the ocean. Not a good thing. And then he goes in to uh, this lost sheep and how, how he, like, the, excuse me, this lost sheep and how the sheep's pursued. And then it's this whole idea of if your brother sins against you. And so there's a lot of sin in this chapter. That's why Peter comes up to him and says, how often my brother sins against me, should I forgive him? Which, by the way, you know Peter has to be the firstborn. Because if you ask Jesus a question, and the very next thing you do is, is answer the question with a question, you have to be the firstborn. And you're terrible at sales, I'll tell you that now. If this is you, if this is how you do sales, don't ever go into sales. Because the first thing you learn in sales, ask a question and shut up. But Peter's trying to prove himself and how smart he is. Here's why, what's going on. The kind of rabbinical teaching of the day, the Jewish teaching of other rabbis, is if someone sins against you, you know how many times you were supposed to give them? Forgive them? Three. And then three strikes and you're out. So Peter doubles it and adds one, man. That's pretty good math. says, all right, what about seven, Jesus? And Jesus looks at him, and he launches into this, this parable, this story. It's a metaphor. Jesus says, there was a servant who owed a king a great amount. If you look at the, the, the 20, how does it say, 10,000 talents, one talent was about 20 years worth of wages for that, the labor, average laborer. So I don't know if you know this, but 10,000 times 20 years is way too high for me to add up. It was hyperbole. It was an immeasurable debt that the servant owed the king. Like what, he could never, like when he says, be merciful to me and I'll pay you back. That was one of the most ridiculous statements ever. There was, it was impossible for the servant to ever pay back the debt that he owed to the king. It was impossible. 
And Jesus is so wise in the way he does this. Like sometimes we forget what a masterful teacher it is, right? Because if you read this story, if you're kind of alone and you're reading this story and you're really locked in, first off, you're going to realize something. You're going to be really mad before long. Like if you're reading this and this guy's been forgiven so much, wiped clean, go, you're forgiven. And he goes and he grabs some other poor guy and says, hey, man, you owe me a hundred. Grabs him by the neck. And says, you owe me a hundred denarii. Have mercy on me and I'll pay it all. A denarii was about a, a day's labor. So a hundred days worth of money, work is what he had. The comparison's not even in the same ballpark between what he owed the king and what the other servant owed him. And you know why Jesus did that? Because when you read that slowly and carefully, you get really mad. As you should, as the servants in the story do. Like they look at this guy and they go and they're like, you won't believe what this dude did. And Jesus is so wise because he knows something about humanity throughout all of time. You want to get somebody mad, you mess with their money. He knows. I'm going to get to the root of it. I'm going to teach you something, and I'm going to use money to do it. Because every one of us, I mean, right in this room, how many of us either have or have heard stories of tragedies when a loved one dies and the family splits apart over the inheritance? How many of us have been done wrong? Mr. Ben and I were talking about this today. He, contractor. And a guy he knew in Maker got stiff for $40,000. He didn't know we were talking about this today. Money. Here's what Jesus does so masterfully. You know how you feel? That anger towards this guy? He spins it on his head and he spins you on your head and says... That's you when you don't forgive your brother. That's you. Because this isn't about money at all. Remember, if you go back and look through this chapter, it's about sin and forgiveness. And Jesus is so good to us and so wonderful to say, that's you. And you're caught. Dead in the rights. We're nailed. So let me talk to you about forgiveness from this story. Some things I think we need to walk away with. First this. Don't be shocked when Christians sin against you or the church hurts you. This whole chapter is about that. Now when it happens, I know it's shocking. Jesus is taking great care to teach his disciples. This is what it looks like to be my disciple, my apprentice. This is what it looks like to follow me in the kingdom of heaven. And you know what it doesn't say? Cancel them. It doesn't say walk away when it gets hard. It doesn't say quit when it gets messy. It's not what it says. So listen, if you're going to do this thing, if you're going to do the Christian life, if you're going to do it at Islands Christian Church or any other church around the world, I can promise you this much. People will sin against you. People will hurt you. And guess what? You will do the same. That's the point of the gospel. We're messed up. 
We're broken. We're sinful. Now, I'm not justifying poor church leadership or abusive leadership. Don't hear me saying that. I'm just saying start with the right mindset and you might finish well. You're going to mess up and people are going to mess up with you. That's life. It does not just in the church. You ever had a roommate, a sibling? You've been married for more than five seconds? Right? Is it not true to form? This is who we are. We get it wrong often. But we have no right to hold it against others. Here's why. Or second, I would say, forgive because you have been forgiven. You may be saying, if you only knew what has been done to me, there's no way you would be telling me, Ernie, to forgive that person. No way. And I would say to you, you're right. I don't know. You know who does? Jesus. You see what he taught his disciples? Whatever your brother does to you, it pales in comparison to what you have done to me. Whatever debt you are owed by him, you owe me far more. This is a hard teaching. Here's why. Forgiveness always costs the offended person. What did your forgiveness cost God? Jesus is teaching his disciples about what it looks like to be part of his family or the kingdom of heaven. This is why only the gospel can empower us to forgive and to forgive from the heart. Paul taught us later in Ephesians that Jesus didn't just come to make bad people good, but he came to make dead people live. That's you and me. Why? So we can be part of God's new humanity, as as Paul calls it, showing the world what grace and mercy are like. Forgive because you've been forgiven, and this is great in the kingdom of God. It's great in Jesus' eyes when you forgive because you have been forgiven. When you understand that no matter what they owe you, no matter what they've done to you, you've done far worse to God. And only God could righteously claim, I will not forgive you. But instead, he says, here's my son. You are loved. You are forgiven. Now go and do what I've done for you. It's all born out of what he does first for us. You're not trying to earn favor. You're not trying to be great and be noticed. You're just trying to recognize God loves me. God forgives me. And now I'm empowered to do the same. Hard though it may be. I don't know if I told you this, but the Christian life is hard. <laughs> just is. How about this? Forgive because mercy makes a way for sinners to repent. And sinners repenting always leads to a good party. And we all love a good party, right? Let me say that again. Forgive because mercy makes a way for sinners to repent. And sinners repenting always leads to a good party. And we all love a good party, right, baby? You say, I don't see a party here. What are you talking about? See, this is what I love about the Bible. Luke's got a parallel teaching to what we see earlier in Matthew 18, the parable of the lost sheep, right? If you go read Luke 15 a little later, Luke takes the same parable, but he adds two more to it. So in Luke 15, you get this. You get a parable of a lost sheep, parable of a lost coin, and parable of a lost son, better known to us as the prodigal son, right? All telling the same story. So Luke's kind of building out on what Matthew has taught us here back in Matthew 18 a little earlier about this lost sheep. Now, Here's what's happening in Luke 15. The Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling at the very beginning of the story, saying this, and I quote, This man, talking about Jesus, receives sinners 
and eats with them. Scandalous. What kind of prophet would do that? What kind of good man would be with those people? See, here's the challenge. They had forgotten something. They knew they were supposed to be a people marked by mercy, but they were blinded by their own self-righteousness. Even under the old covenant, their prophet Micah said this, He has shown thee, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? The story has never changed. They just forgot it. They got blinded by their own religion, blinded by their own self-righteousness. And don't think that we're not capable of that in this room today. Some of the worst people to be around are lost religious people or people who've trusted in their religion and forgotten who Jesus is. They've missed the point. They've missed the mark. And I'm here to tell you, like all Jesus is doing is constantly recalibrate to me, recalibrate to me, recalibrate to me. And stories like this are meant to wake us up and aliven us to this. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. Being great in the kingdom of heaven is accomplished by something as simple as a meal. Jesus ate with sinners. And when you remember the story of the prodigal son, when the son comes home, what does the daddy do? He parties. Put a robe on him. Kill the fatted calf. I don't know if you guys know that, but that would be equivalent to go to Southbound and get the best keg they got, son. Let's go. And that may be offensive to you. I'm telling you, you need to open up and understand the Bible. It is time to party like God takes that serious. My son was dead to me, and he's alive, and he's here, and he's mine. And guys, only mercy does that for people. Never sitting in judgment on them. Never being mean to them. Never looking down your nose to them. Only mercy. Only mercy only mercy does and when you do that you're a lot like Jesus and it makes room for lots of people to come to the party so show mercy because mercy makes for more joy in the kingdom of heaven and nothing makes a great party like joy does go read Luke 15 joy in heaven over one sinner repent angels break dancing over one sinner all right I made that but it's there go read it And then let me illustrate it. The son who never should have had mercy received it fully. That's everyone in this room. Forgive because unforgiveness destroys you. i got to hurry here, guys. It's been said that bitterness, which is the twin sister of unforgiveness, is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Unforgiveness is like locking yourself up And wondering how the other person is so free. And I can testify to this personally. Unforgiveness doesn't just destroy you. Or hurt you. It hurts those closest to you. Your family. It's a root of bitterness. And it's only going to spread. Forgiveness is a choice and an ongoing process. 77 times, Jesus said, right? And it may be for several different offenses or just one that you repeatedly have to forgive. What do you mean there, Ernie? 
I mean this. The, the offense may have been so egregious to you, so, so just damaging. Like Jesus doesn't make light of that. So you may have to choose to forgive the first time. And then an hour later, it comes back in your mind and all the emotions and all the feelings and all the rawness are there. And you just keep coming. Listen, he's not looking for perfection. He's just looking for willingness and obedience. Does that make sense? And what you'll find is if you open your hands and say, Oh, Jesus, I know what you taught me. but I'm struggling. I don't want to forgive them. I want to go hurt them. I'm so angry and I'm so mad and I'm so hurt and I'm so wounded. I just want to get them and I want to see them suffer. I want to see them hurt. But you said, I have no right to that. You said, trust me and forgive them. Lord, I'm tr- here it is. I'm trying. Open-handed. It's a process. If you go through that process enough, sometimes it's so egregious, like, guys, just start the first time. And every time it comes, you just kind of keep going back to the well and saying, okay, Lord, okay, Lord, okay, Lord. He's a gracious king. Just don't go grab him by the neck. (laughs) Or anywhere else. Just go to your knees and say, Jesus, help. That's all he's looking for. He's not looking for you to be perfect. And if you get it wrong, humble yourself and go tell that person. Now will be hard. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have knocked your teeth out. I'm sorry. Because earlier in this gospel, Jesus said it's the meek that will inherit the earth. It's so different than the kingdom of this world. It takes meekness to do that. Lastly, I'll say this. Forgive because judgment day is coming. If you look at verse 35, there's a start warning. Jesus said, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. And I love you says from the heart because we've all had, if you've had a sibling or, or a friend or roommate, you know, and like, especially with siblings when your mom or dad says, Tell your brother you're sorry. Oh, sorry. And you don't no more mean that than a man, Right? So you get that from the, no, no need to expose that any further, right? Like, it can't be that. All right. No, you got to really mean it. I'll help you mean it. But it's really got to be from the heart, not just lip service. Here's some incredibly good news for all of us. God is king and judge, so we don't have to be. That's good news. We want a God who's both merciful and just, but only God can pull that off. Only God can pull that off. And what he says is that judgment day is coming. And here's the thing. If you won't forgive someone else, it probably means or should mean the reason why you're going to suffer the wrath of God is because you really probably haven't tasted his forgiveness yourself. Because when you have, you can't help but forgive. But here's the the other side of that coin. Like one day Jesus is coming back, right? And God is going to judge the living and the dead. Here's what I want you to know. That person who may have done something to you, so evil and so wicked, and it seems like they've gotten by with it for a lifetime, they may get by with for a lifetime, but they will not get by with it forever. God is just. God will not suffer 
any injustice in his kingdom. And there's one of two ways it gets handled. Either on the cross through Jesus Christ, Jesus absorbed the wrath of God that we should have. He took it on our behalf, right? Done and settled. And maybe for that person, they repent and that's what happens. And in the kingdom of God, you will be all right. You will be okay. Or one day, they're going to suffer the wrath of Almighty God. And I promise you this, there's nothing you could dream up in your mind on your worst days of how you would like to retaliate, how you would like to get back at them. There's nothing you could come up with that could come close to that day when Almighty God says, I saw it. I knew it. And I want you to know this. God hates that. God hates that sin that was done to you. God hates that wickedness that was perpetrated against you. He does not... It does not get swept under a rug. One day, he comes back and will all come clear. And that's good news because we want God to be just and merciful. And we hope for them they get mercy. But isn't it great that you don't have to be the judge? I got enough to worry about. So do you. But know this. God does not trifle. And it may seem like he doesn't care. He does. We just have to wait. Parallel passage of this Paul teaches in Romans 12. Romans 1 through 11 is laying out the gospel. Romans 12 begins by, therefore, uh, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. How do I do that? That sounds great. The whole rest of Romans tells you a lot of practical stuff, right? Romans 12 says this, do not be overcome with evil towards the end of the chapter, but rather overcome evil with good. Remember this, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. It takes a lot of faith to believe that. Let him be judge and vengeer. You pray for mercy and you'll be free. Let me wrap it up this way. Just want to make sure there may be someone in this room needs to hear this. Ties in with, with this a lot. It's a doctrine called expiation. I almost hate to say it. It's a big fancy theological word, but it's very powerful. What does it mean and why does it matter? It means this. <clears throat> Not only were your sins cleansed on the cross, but also those sins committed against you. Why does this matter for some of you? I'm particularly thinking if something has happened to you in your childhood that you've been carrying for a long time. And you keep defining yourself by that thing that was done to you. Not by you, but to you. And here's where the doctrine, the truth, wants to set you free. You have been cleansed. Look at me. You're clean. Look at me. You're clean. You're whole. You're not to be defined by that any longer. You should not let it keep possessing your mind and your heart anymore. Jesus wants you to be free, not to be defined by that thing that was done. It is wicked. It is wrong. And he loves you and he cleanses you. You didn't do wrong. Wrong was done to you, but you are clean of it. Some of us need to know that. I just felt that in my heart. Know that. You're clean. He loves you. You're his. So let's conclude where we started by asking the question, do you want to be great in the kingdom of God? Let's become a people marked by mercy and full of forgiveness. Marked by mercy 
full of forgiveness. Let's pray. Lord, it's always fun to bring these intense messages on 4th of July. Thank you. <laughs> Lord, um, you know the hearts of every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room. You know the ones that are clinging so tightly to for unforgiveness. Would you please, God, would this be just the first step for some of them just to open their grip to you? To forgive. Thank you that you love us enough, Jesus, to teach us, like, this is what it looks like to live in my kingdom, to be my people. Help us, Lord. That's really my prayer. Help us. Lead us. Make us a people marked by mercy and full of forgiveness so that the world may see that you are real and you really do change lives. We ask it in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask you guys this. To, to, if you'll lift a hand like this, let me tell you why it's important to involve your body in worship. Because Jesus is coming back. His kingdom's going to be on this earth. And you're going to get a resurrected body. So we're not just spiritual beings. We're spiritual, physical. So as much as you can involve the physical in your worship, kneel when you pray, it's good. So I don't mind making it awkward, but that's why. Lift your hands. May you go now and be a people marked by mercy and full of forgiveness so that you can be great in Jesus' kingdom. Go now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Grace be with you. Amen.